Lord a good hand this morning, church. Praise God. Amen. It's good to be here with you and um, to preach on Pastor Stevon's cool pulpit. I see it's an iPad-ready pulpit, but I'm an old-school guy. I got handwritten notes, and uh, but um, amen. It's, it is a privilege to stand behind this pulpit. Pastor Stevon, I, I appreciate um, the opportunity and, um, and, and to be at your church and even to know that before it was your church, it was your dad's church, and it means a lot. And I know this has been a special church to Victory Outreach for a lot of years. And uh, I got saved in 1995, and, uh, and I remember hearing about Hayward. No, I didn't even know where Hayward was. I didn't, you know, but I'll hear about it. And then my pastor would bring Pastor Steve over to preach. And, uh, and I got a Pastor Steve impersonation too. He would always preach. And then, and then the work of God, it moves all over the place. Right? And I always felt like, it's like I felt him like, a, like an uncle. Amen. It's pretty good, huh? Pretty good? Yeah, it's pretty good. Huh? With like a Fu Manchu. I remember his mustache. Like. And uh, he, was, he was also, every time he came, it just something about when I heard him speak, something connected inside of me. As I think that, I think just like the way little lions learn to roar when they hear the big lions roar. And he would come to our church and he would, he would roar. And it, and it just, uh, it resonated inside of me. And I felt right there something started to be birthed. Like it was, it was the call of God. God started to reveal his, his plan and his purpose. And I just, can I brag about the Lord this morning? Can I brag about the Lord this morning? I don't always, always brag about the Lord, but man, I, you know, God has been so good to me. And I really, I really know in my heart that my steps are being ordered by the Lord. Hello, somebody. I said, I feel like my steps are being ordered by the Lord. That's a good feeling to have because we serve a God of purpose. We serve a God of purpose. It's easy to believe that everything is just what it is and we got to try to make the best of it. It's easy to believe that. But it takes faith to believe that we serve a God who is purposeful in what he does. And I, 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 I refused. I refuse. I said I refuse. To give up the belief that God is up to something in my life. And in the same way that I could receive that and I could claim that and I could even display that, I believe that's true for every single one of us that we could grab that and say, I don't want just an everyday, average, whatever's gonna happen to me life. But I want God's best for my life. Sometimes that means that we're in victory. Sometimes it means we're in the valley. Hello. But it's still God's plan. And sometimes we got, you know, it's like, how much you want? Then it's like, how much you got? You know what I mean? And, but it doesn't matter if I'm in a how much you got or how much you want season. It's good to know that God Almighty is leading my steps. Can I hear somebody say Amen. You know, and, uh, and as you remain stand with, standing with me just for a moment, I had the privilege of being in uh, Fremont uh, earlier this morning, and I, I was able to be there for their first service, and I told them why I was in town. I said, we're in town because Pastor Esteban is crazy, and uh, he's doing a drama. Everybody knows you're crazy already, though. It wasn't a secret. They're like, yeah. And uh, I said, he's doing seven, not just seven dramas in seven days, seven different dramas. It's one thing you had a drama for three days. No, there's seven different dramas, seven days. And uh, that's just uh, that many more opportunities to get people saved. Amen. And let them know about, about the love of the Lord, about the hope in Jesus. Amen. So if you would, I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes right there. And you would just open up your hearts. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We worship your holy name. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day that you've given to us. Lord, your word says that this is a day that you have made, and we rejoice. And we're glad in it, Lord. And we know that not only is this your day, but, Lord, this is the beginning of an awesome week. 
and we're so excited. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to our lives today. Father, I pray that every heart would be open to what you want to say. And, Lord, that you would remove any and all distraction. And, Father, I pray for your spirit and your anointing upon my life to preach your word. We pray, God, that you would receive all the glory and that you would receive all the honor. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. You can go ahead and take your seats. Let's see. How am I going to work this out? Check, check. Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles out with me and turn them to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke 15, and you can say, uh-huh, when you're there. We're going to read in Luke 15, starting in verse 11. This is a very, very, you know, familiar uh, passage of Scripture here about the prodigal son. We're going to read in verse 11 through 24. The Word of God reads, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered together all that he had and journeyed to a far country. And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed his swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his head and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to be merry. Now, this, this is a story, no doubt, about, you know, the love of God, the love of the Father, right? We see right here in the story, you could see very, very clear the mercy of God. Is there any recipients of the mercies of God? By the way, it's good to see Sister Josie, too. Amen. It's good to see you this morning, Sister Josie. We see the mercies of God in this story. Now, no doubt, this is a story of that. It's a story of, of God the Father's love, of God the Father's uh, grace, and how we don't even deserve it, yet he extends it. We see that in the, in the son's life when, you know, he copped an attitude and... How many got those teenage sons, right? Copped an attitude... Left his dad disrespectfully, left the house, took his portion of the goods, went and parted it all away, and had to come back on that humble walk. And God, and, and then the father, just like God the Father extends mercy to us, he extended mercy to his son. But this is not only a story of God the Father's mercy and a picture of, of the Father's mercy, but it's also the story and a picture of a young man that lost perspective. It's a story of a young man that lost perspective. This is a picture of that. The, the Bible says, and the younger of them said to his father. Now, 
I just want to park it right there. Now, we don't know why the younger son decided to have that talk with his dad. The Bible doesn't say. I don't know if there was some, some bad kids that used to walk home on the way, you know, they used to bat, pass by his house. Hey, psst. And he used to come out and talk to them, and he got influenced. I don't know if he was tired of big brother beating up on him all the time. I got three boys. I see it live, right? Big brother eats little brother. This one's mean to that one, so that one turns around. He's mean to the smaller one. The smaller one turns around, he's, right? He kicks the dog, amen? It's like a vicious cycle, right? Dog bites older one, it just starts all over again, amen? And maybe, maybe he was tired of being little brother. Maybe he was tired of getting little brother all the time and getting, you know, pushed around all the time. I don't know. Who knows why he decided to take on that perspective? I don't know what influenced his frame of mind, but all of a sudden he was thinking wrong. All of a sudden he was on the wrong side of the situation because, you know, where you stand on the situation, it, how you see things determines how you act. I heard someone say nothing influences your behavior more than your perspective. If you ever found yourself acting out, acting wrong, acting weird, I wonder if your perspective has shifted along the way. I remember playing a game of chess with this guy that I worked with. He had it up in his office, and it was the kind of deal where, like, he would make a move and then leave, and then, you know, I would come in throughout the day. I'd see it right there. I'd okay. Then I would make a move, and then I would leave. You know, it was one of those deals. We didn't just sit down and just play. But, you know, he was beating me, you know, and he was beating me, and, I, you know, we don't like to lose, right? And I was like, really, like, oh, my God, I didn't, I, you know, you're like, how did I not see that, right? He took my bishop, man, right? And I was, like, frustrated, and I was looking, and then I, you know, finally I decided every day, every time I made the move, I would come and I would look for, at the board from this point of view. But then one day I decided to change my perspective, and I walked over here from this side of the table, and all of a sudden I could see his plan. All of a sudden, I could see his, his, his strategy against me. And your perspective has a, way to, has a way of influencing the decisions that you make. Perspective is key. Sometimes we feel like, oh, man, the devil's going to attack. He's going to attack my money. He's going to attack my health. He's going to attack in this way or that way. But a lot of times, the devil isn't trying to rough you up. The devil's trying to mess up the way you think. The devil... To change our perspective, John 10, 10 says that the thief came to kill, steal, and to destroy. And a lot of times we feel like, oh, man, the devil wants to box. The devil wants to get him up with me. You know, be careful when you leave church today. The devil might be by the car ready to jump you. That devil's not right there. Like, so give me your promise, dude. You know, that Everybody's like watching their back. I don't know, bro. I got a calling, dog. I don't know. I got to watch my back. No. no, the devil's not in a strong arm robbery. He's in a white collar crime. He's in a fraud. And he will fraud and lie and cheat and twist until we're thinking crazy. And like this young man here, thought so crazy that he, he gave up the blessings that he had. Who knows how many other young men used to walk by that house and say, man, I wish I had what he had. I wish I had what he has. And sometimes we're in God's house week after week, and we can start to lose value for what we have. Somewhere along the line, he lost the value of his father's house. He lost the value of his father. He lost the value of his inheritance. He lost it somehow, and he started to look somewhere else. His perspective started to get Twisted, and when your perspective gets twisted, enter Sandman, enter the devil to make some lies and make some propositions, just so waiting for us to buy into that so he could lead us down the wrong road. And we all see where the prodigal son ended up. And the truth of the matter is, some of us has, have ended up in that same place. I've been in that pig sty myself, going for the fried ice cream, going for the lies of the devil. Ending up spiritually in a spiritual famine. In a spiritual famine. Broke and empty and frustrated and mad and blaming everybody. Perspective. The younger maybe 
Maybe, you know, like we said, maybe he was thoughtless. Maybe he was tired of his big brother giving him a hard time. The Bible doesn't give us specifics, but we see the signs of trouble when he started to question, when he was unsure of his future. Maybe just tired of his dad's rule. Maybe tired of being under his father's eye all the time, wanting a little bit of independence for himself. Wanting to do things for himself, do it the way he wanted to do it. Because how many know serving the Lord, we're under the authority of God in our life. We're people that answer to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The lordship. That means we've got to ask permission sometimes. Oh, we don't like that, huh? All the brothers were like, what? See, that's what I'm saying, babe. That's what I like to come. But the truth of the matter of the matter is, is that man, we're 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 under the we're under God's watchful eye. We're, we're we're trying to live by His word. We're trying to honor God. Maybe He was getting tired of that. Maybe He started feeling the itch. I read in a commentary when I was studying for this. It says, "This is a man." impatient of divine control, desiring to be independent of God, seeking to be his own master. And maybe you say, well, wait a minute, man. He's just a little kid making a bad choice. That's a big jump. How does that happen? When we begin to that place or we start choosing our desires before God, it happens when we lose sight and lose perspective. There's this uh, Proverbs 29, 18 that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. It says, where there is no vision... People cast off restraint. Now, for a long time, I didn't understand that verse. I thought I did, but I I didn't really. And it says, where there is no vision, people cast off restraints. And as as I come to know what that scripture means, in other words, it's like, I don't know how many of you here have ever tried to lose weight. Y'all look fabulous. I know it's probably no one that needs to lose weight, but there might be a couple, right? Don't look, don't look. You're like, you hurt someone's feelings. Come on. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to lose weight or ever, you know, bulk up. You try to be, get like me. It's going to take you a minute, but bam, right? <laughs> but when you have a goal, it, 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 maybe it's to, you know, to, to bulk up, to get in shape or to lose weight. A lot of times, you know, you already have that image in your head of what you want to look like. You got those jeans in the top drawer waiting, right? You're like, oh, no, I ain't going to put these in the yard sale. These ain't going to the women's home because I'm going to wear these again one day. Uh-huh, you get them every once in a while, hmm, right? Oh, no, I'm going to fit these again, right? These are my find a man jeans, you know what I'm saying? Put them on, I'm going to find a man, right? At the altar. Come on, come clean, dirty. Wait, you got, you got your picture. You already see yourself in those jeans worshiping. Yeah, that's your picture, right? You see yourself already yoked. That's your picture. That's why in the gym, have you noticed they put mirrors all around? Because, you know, fellas, when we lift weight, you know, all the blood goes to your muscle and it like puffs up a little bit. So you do a rep and all of a sudden your chest is like, you're like, what? <laughs> oh, shoot, dude. I'm coming back, bro. I'm coming back, right? Dude, I'm going to do this, right? That's why before they jump in the pool, they go in there in the restroom like, come out like. You go to the gym, you hit a couple reps, the blood hits your muscles, pumps up a little bit. They got all the mirrors. Oh, you're like, yeah. Because why? When you see yourself in the mirror, you see a picture of what could be and you get motivated. And that picture motivates you to discipline yourself. Where there is no vision, people cast off restraints. Restraints. Like, I want to look good. So I'm not, no more Twinkies at 10 o'clock at night. Right? It's 11.30, bro. Let's go to McDonald's before it closes. Right? No more junk food. No, more, no, no. I'm saying just say no. I'm on that just say no campaign. Right? Just say no. No to the fast food. No to the junk food. Why am I restraining myself from eating junk food? Because I have a vision of myself being in shape. Does that make sense? Where there is no, but when there is no vision. 
when there is no hope for a better life, when there is no picture of what could be, then people just throw off the restraints. Why shouldn't I just do whatever I want to do? Why shouldn't I live any old way? Why shouldn't I go spend my money and live wildly? Why shouldn't I party it all away? There is no vision for me anyways. And that's where a lot of our friends and our family members and our community and our neighbors, that's where they're at. There is no picture. There is no hope for the future. So they just live any old way. But how many know God has called us to bring a brand new picture? God has called us to paint that picture of hope. And when they see us, they see what could be. And they hear you testify and you get on the mic talking about, I want to let you know that at one time in my life, I was gangbanging, smoking, doping, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But then one day Jesus changed my life. And they're going to act like they ain't hearing it. When they go home, come on, somebody. When they lay down, their head's on the pillow. The music's off, everybody's gone, right? They're thinking about it. They're thinking about it. When they go home and they look in the mirror, reality check. I remember, I remember having a reality check that changed my life, man. I remember one day I, was up, I hadn't slept for like three days. My friend was driving. I was in the front seat of the car, and I remember looking out the window and just seeing everybody live their life, like moms pushing kids on the strollers and, a little couple walking and, you know, and I remember thinking, man, I messed up my life. That's it, man. I jacked up. I got jumped in. I'm, 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 I got a bad crystal meth problem. That's it, man. I'm stuck. And I, just, I remember trying to just harden my heart right there because I wanted to cry. But I didn't want to cry in front of homeboy, you know. But I, I remember at that point realizing, like, if I don't just harden my heart, if I don't just kill this, I'm not going to be able to go on. I got to just kill this. I made my bed. I'm going to lie in it. It is what it is. But then I saw a picture of hope. Then I, they brought me to Victory Outreach. Amen. And I started seeing people that were worse than me. You know, I thought I was a gangster until I went to the men's home. I saw what some real gangsters looked like. I was like, oh, man. No, I'm not from nowhere. I don't. <laughs> right? I said, I thought I was a G, so I went to the home. I saw, man, and I said, man, if the neighborhood, if the party life was all that it was cracked up to be, all these people wouldn't be in the house of God because these are people that know what's up. These are people that have been there, done that, so that represented hope to me. I said, man, if they came here to God's house, there must be something here. Amen? Perspective. Let me hear you say perspective. Perspective. When serving God no longer seems to be that wonderful freedom is when we begin to tell ourselves that we can have better elsewhere. This opens us up to make the mistake, and it's then we discover that to depart from him is not to throw off the yoke, but to exchange a light yoke for a heavy one. One gracious master for a thousand tyrants. The son left the area to become independent of the father, but soon found himself in worse bondage than ever. Is that not the truth? That's why the enemy will spend overtime to influence our perspective. He'll influence our perspective so that he can cause us to make bad choices. The son said, give me the portion of goods that is due to me. And in those days, the father could either grant inheritance before or after his death. But it was usually done after. So the younger son asked for a special exception. Usually this would be done after the father was passing away or right before he went on. He would, have, he would give the inheritance to the sons. But the son was uh, eager and impatient and he, he wanted it right there on the spot. And you know what that was? That was a warning sign that something was not right. It was a warning sign. Huh? How many know warning signs are pretty important? I don't know if anybody here has ever run out of gas before. I ran out of gas not too long ago. I wasn't driving. I'm not going to say who was, champ. But, you know, we were there and, you know, we were going somewhere. And, and then all, all of a sudden, you know, I thought, I'm like, oh, my, the car broke down. He's like, no, we ran out of gas. 
I was like, you know, we're in East L.A., right? <laughs> we were like on Cesar Chavez and like, I don't know what. And then I was like, bro, I could see downtown. We were like so close to home, so close, but yet so far. You know, we're like, man, bro, what happened? He goes, man, I, I, you know, I didn't pay attention to what? The gas light. I didn't pay attention to the warning sign. I didn't pay attention to that little thing, that warning sign that could have stopped me from being sidetracked on the side of the road. Broke down on the side of the road. Warning signs will come into our lives when we have lost perspective. And I want to give you a couple of those today. If, if, if you're uh, taking notes, there, I'm going to give you three of them. Three warning signs that we may have lost perspective of God's promise and God's calling upon our lives. Number one is that we let our guards down. A warning sign to you and I that we've, that we've lost perspective on what God is doing in our lives is that we begin to let our guards down. In other words, what I mean by that is things that we used to look at as sin, we no longer look at as sin. Things that we didn't used to do when we were on fire and moving forward with God, all of a sudden, eh, we make exceptions for it. Movies that we wouldn't watch before. Hello. Hello. Say, so now those are worldly, man. Those, you know? Is there anything in that movie that's going to edify my life? I'm not going to watch that, man. You know, I'll tell you very honestly, there's a lot of movies you'll just never see me in the audience of. And it doesn't matter how popular they are, how hilarious they are. Young people, when we give our lives to God, do you know what happens? Something, alive, something becomes alive inside of us. Something's alive inside of us. And that something could be quenched. It could be offended. And so what happens is this comes alive inside of us. Just like when a, when a, a woman is carrying a baby, she, she's, she becomes prote protective. Right? All of a sudden, she, the kids can't come jump on mom no more. Right? All of a sudden, mom can't eat chile no more. No. But she does, but she shouldn't. Right? I remember when my wife first got pregnant with our first baby. Poor thing, man. I, I didn't let her. I was like on her. Like, I was like a detective. I was like behind the curtains like, is that coffee? Is that coffee? She's like, no, it's water. I'm like. And she loves Chile, you know, but I don't know. I read somewhere or some quack doctor told me or, but it was the first one. So I was like, you know, I was like right there with the, by the bed waiting with vitamins. What's up? You ready? <laughs> vitamins, no Chile, no coffee, right? Like, I was like, I even went so far one time. I said, like, I know you ate that. I know you. She's like, no, I didn't. Let me smell your breath. <laughs> Let me smell your breath. Let me see. I'm lying. That part lying. I did smell her breath. We let our guards down, and the things that we used to say were not good, all of a sudden we make exceptions for. And we're no longer being that protective person that we should be. You know, I, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I would tell the young people, you got to look at your salvation like if, like if you had a lit candle and you had to make it, and there's a huge party going on. Like the party scenes in the drama, right? You know, the party scenes in the drama are always cooler than real parties, right? Anyways, that's, that's another story. So you guys that never went to the world, you don't worry. It ain't like, you know, hey. You know, but the house parties. And uh, anyways, you got to look at it like if it's a, a huge party and you got this little candle and you got to make it from one end of the party to the other end without your candle going out. So you got to look at your walk. So you look, man, you better be, you better be through, child. You better look. You better assess. You better be observant. Say, dude, that section looks rowdy. That must be the heart of the bay over there because they look rowdy, right? That section looks rowdy. These people are drinking. It might spill on my, okay, and you know, you know where you need to stay away from. You know, you have to walk carefully and cautiously. That's what Ephesians 5, 5.15 says. It says, therefore, walk circumspectly. Redeeming the time, right? Because the days are circumspectly coming from the word circumference around like that. Watch out. Be careful. I said, that's how you got to look at your walk. So it can't just be, hey, happy-go-lucky. We need to be very careful that there's something special. There's something precious that we have in Jesus, and we want to make sure that we're taking care of it. 
But sometimes, sometimes along the road, you know, we get, we get careless and we start to let our guards down. And all of a sudden, music that we would have never listened to, music that our discipler told us not to listen to, music that mom and dad said don't listen to, all of a sudden we're like, I'm going to listen to it. Ain't nothing wrong with a little head bobbing. I just listen to the beat. I don't even listen to the words. I just go to the club to dance. I don't even know what everyone else is doing. I'm just dancing. Get in the slap line real quick because you need to, you know. All of a sudden, things that were uh, not okay all of a sudden become okay. I heard a preacher say, don't confuse maturity with compromise. Some Christians, they've been doing it so long, they say, well, I wouldn't recommend a baby Christian to listen to that, but I'm mature. I'm mature. I've been doing this a lot. I can handle a beer too. I can handle this. I can handle that. I can handle, I can handle hanging out over there with them. I can handle because I'm mature. Don't confuse maturity with compromise. Be careful in the guard that you hold and to make sure that we're holding up those convictions because of many times it's those very convictions that are keeping us on the road. It's a warning sign. When you see that your guard is going down and you're starting to be more open to things you weren't open before, be careful when we're no longer cautious or careful. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober and be vigilant. Another warning sign is that we don't come to church expecting anything new from God. That's a warning sign that something's not right, that maybe your your perspective needs to be tweaked when when you come to church because you know you need to be at church. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want no one to think nothing. I got to be there. It's Sunday. That's what I do. If you start to find yourself in a rhythm of just coming to church because you need to come to church, then I think you need to list like, you know, like we hit the TV when it's not working right. Hit the person next to you like, no, I'm just kidding. You got your picture clear, brother, right? We come to church not expecting anything. Is there anybody here this morning that came expecting something from God? Is there anybody here this morning that said, hey, I'm going to come and get my worship on. I'm going to come and get my praise on. I'm going to come and touch God and, and let God touch me. Because where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty, there is victory. And we know that where two or more are gathered, there he is in the midst of them. God wants to be where people are loving him. So if all of us come to church with that same mindset, I love the way my brother was worshiping up here. With the vest, where is he at? Huh? My brother right there. Woo! Stand up, my brother. Stand up real quick. He got that fire. Woo! This is my second service, so I was like, I was like trying to crank myself up. When I saw my brother worshiping, man, it just... I said, I'm going to partner with that faith right there. And when all of us come together and we partner like that, we say, let's praise God. Let's lift up his name. Guess what? God wants to be in places like that. And when God is there, there is healing, there is deliverance. And we want to come to church expecting that. Not, you know, oh, I already know Pastor Stevon's going to teach on. I already know we're going to do two songs and then the offering and then. And you know what we do when we do that? We come just accepting the way things are instead of expecting God to do something great. We need to come to church expecting, not just accepting. This could be the day that God radically touches my husband. This could be the day that God radically changes my children. Why not today? Is God able? Is God able? I said, is God able? then why not let today be the day that revival breaks out in my family, in the men's home, in the church, in the youth gang. I'm believing God for big things. We come to church expecting something great from God. We can't come thinking that we already know the drill or we already got it all figured out. Because let me tell you something. God has more things in store for you than you could see with your eye. Some of you believe that. I said, God has more things in store for you than you could see with your eye. God is able to blow your mind. God is able to blow your mind. 
I love this verse in Psalm, Psalm 77, 19. It says, your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock through the hand of Moses. This is referencing when God used Moses to lead the children of Israel through the Red Sea. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. Because here they are looking at the, uh, the Egyptian army chasing them, right? Literally being chased by chariots, mean men with spears. And they're like trying to shake the spot. They're trying to get out. They're trying to run. And what do they see in front of them? They see, they see a, a river of impossibility. They see an uncrossable water. They see a dead end. But little did they know that right in that, in the midst of that impossibility, God had already made provision for them. He said, your way was in the waters. Your steps, God has things that you can't see yet. So be careful before you already make all your, we think, oh, no, okay, God can't do this. He won't do that. He can't do this. No, we say, you know what, God can do this. He will do that. He can do this. He is able of that. God has more for us. I said, God has more for us. I refuse to be on the side that say God, God can't. I want to be on the side that says God can I don't want to be on the side that says God won't. I want to be on the side that says God will. Because I've seen God do too much. If God was able to open up the waters back then, God is still able to open up the waters today. 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 For your family and your family and my family, God is able to do it. I had the honor and the privilege a few days ago of touching Pastor Sonny Sr.'s track marks. I touched it. I haven't washed my fingers since then. I'm just kidding. I don't know why. It's not like it's holy or nothing like that. It's just that, man, how many times has he flashed out at a drug addict and said, hey, man, you thought it was impossible. You thought you had to accept where you were. You thought once a junkie, always a junkie. Check it out. That represents so much. It represents hope. And sometimes we need to stand and we need to borrow that hope. And we need to come to church because maybe your miracle hasn't come yet. And you say, man, you know what? I'm going to borrow the hope of Pastor Sonny. I'm going to borrow the hope of my pastor. Your pastor, is a, your pastor has crazy faith. You say, you know what? I'm going to keep coming and I'm going to keep borrowing his faith until my faith rises up. And as long as he's believing, I'm going to believe with him. Sometimes you don't know what to believe for. Believe what he's believing for. Believe what he's believing for. You say, man, I don't know. I'm just here. I'm just trying to make it do what it do. I don't really know up from down. Well, just hold on tight and follow close and say, I'm going to believe for other people's breakthroughs until my breakthrough comes. I'm going to believe for a breakthrough in the Bay. I'm going to believe for a breakthrough in Hayward. I'm going to believe for a revival in my community. A warning sign that we've lost perspective is we let our guards down. We don't come expecting anything new from God. And the third one is we take our eyes off of God and we begin to cast a critical eye on his people. That's a warning sign, church. If you find yourself in church, you're like, mm-hmm, I don't know. Oh, that's what they said. Mm-hmm, look at her. Mm-hmm. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing this? Huh? And you start to cast, you take your eye off of God. So how many know sometimes we could do that? We take our eyes off of God, and we begin to cast them on, on people. You know, in Matthew 13, 53, it tells a story of Jesus when he went to his hometown. He was uh, just finished doing a bunch of miracles. He just finished, uh, you know, healing people, touching people, doing powerful things. And he came to his hometown, and he wanted to do some miracles there. There was people that were in need. They were sick. They were diseased. And the Bible says that he wanted to touch them. But all of a sudden, they begin to look at Jesus, and they say, oh, man, we know this guy. Isn't that the carpenter's son? 
Yeah, his sisters and his, yeah, they're all with us. Yeah, we know him. All of a sudden, he's, he has power. All of a sudden, he could do miracles. All of a sudden, he's got the answers that we need. Ah, and they didn't believe him. They begin to cast a critical eye. They begin to cast a negative eye. How do we know? What's a warning sign that we might be losing perspective is that we start to look negatively at, the, at God and his people. How many know that could hold? We don't, we don't need any help hold, get, being held down. We got enough hangups on our own. We got the devil already working against us. We don't need to be held down by one another. There's that old illustration about the, uh, about the man who was, who was taking a tour on the fisherman's wharf. And he was taking a tour, a tour down, the, down the pier. And he's like, oh, these are all the different crabs that are available in, in the ocean here. He says, these are our subterranean crabs right here. These are our, 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 our freshwater crabs. These are the, the country crabs right here. And he goes, oh, and these are our inner city crabs right here. And he said, oh, excuse me, sir, you guys forgot to put a lid on the inner city crabs. He says, oh, no, we don't need to put a lid. As soon as one gets to the top, the other one's just pulling right back down. And that's an ugly picture of people that have taken their eyes off of God and start casting a critical eye on each other. And it hinders the work of God. The Bible says that Jesus didn't do the miracles he wanted to do because they're unbelief. But when we make the decision to say, you know what, I'm not going to look negatively at anybody. Besides, I have no time to look negatively at anybody. Someone said once, those that are rowing the boat have no time to rock the boat because they're too busy working for the Lord. They're too busy going forward. They're too busy helping the church go where it needs to go. Then to waste time arguing and messing around with one another. If you're going to spend any kind of energy towards a, your brother or, or sister, make sure it's the kind of energy that's going to build them up and not tear them down. You know, if you want to work with somebody, you want to encourage somebody, don't, you know, some people think that by working with somebody, you just rebuke them all the time. And they're like Edward Scissorhands. They're just like, Ch -ch -ch. can I work with you? Like, like no, thanks. No, thank you. Right? We need to make sure that we're taking time to build one another up. Can I hear somebody say amen? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to close with this. In Numbers chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, you, you could turn there. If not, you could just read along. Numbers 15, 39 and 40, it says, And you shall have the tassel, that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. And that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. He said, and you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it. If you read previously in, those, in, the, in the chapter, God is saying, I'm going to give you this blue tassel. And I want every single one of you to get this blue tassel and sew it to the corner of your garments. And that way, you, you could look upon that tassel, and every time you see it, and every time you're dressed, and every time you put it on, you're going to see that tassel, and it's going to remind you of my commandments. And it's going to remind you to be holy. What was God giving to the people? He was giving them a visual aid. Just like in the gym, when you look in the mirror, that's a visual aid. Just like the runners, when people come to run in a race, they're not showing up just to have fun. No runner hits the starting line just to have a good time. They didn't wear those tiny little shorts just to have fun. They're all embarrassed. They're like hiding behind trees. Are we going to start? Are we going to start? Sure, right now. Okay. All right, hurry up, bro. Hurry up. Hurry up, bro. They shave their legs. Woo. So they could be more streamlined. I don't know how that helps, but amen. They shave their legs. They wear little tiny shorts. They eat right, they, right? They're, they're, they're training. When everybody else is out partying, they're, they're, they're training. Everybody else is out having fun, they're disciplining themselves. Everybody else is saying yes, they're saying no. They're working hard and they're sweating and they're preparing, not so they can have a good time. And when they hit that starting line, there's one thing on their mind. That's the finish line. What God was giving to his people in numbers was a visual aid. What am I trying to establish with you here this morning, church, is that your perspective and your approach to serving God is very important. And in order for us to have a strong perspective, 
not a perspective that is weakened or swayed. We need to have something to focus on. We need to have the promises of God to focus on. I opened up today by saying that I believe that I'm walking in the perfect will of God. Man, I believe it with all my heart. And when my assignment in the training center is done, best believe me and my little family are going to find ourselves in a city just like Pastor Stevon and Sister Chella. And we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to get busy for the Lord. And we're going to get busy for the Lord. Why? Because that's a promise that he put in my heart many, many, many years ago. Many years ago, I heard our elders get behind the pulpit. And said, God has called us to plant churches and rehabilitation centers and training centers in strategic cities of the world. That became a promise that I grabbed on. That became something that I focused on. That became a tassel for me to look at. Do you have a promise to look at? Do you have a promise to focus on? I know that all month we've been holding on to drama-rama. But after this week, we're going to need new promises. We have a promise as a ministry. It's, we have a collective promise, and that's treasure out of darkness. And as a UTC director, one of the best things about the job that I have is that I have a front row seat to what God is doing in all these, all these uh, young men and women. UTC, stand up real quick. Praise the Lord. There is a representation here of cities from all over. We got Atlanta represented, Chicago represented, Texas represented, Plano Californians represented. We got Las Vegas representing from all over. We got Brazil representing. Hello. You guys can go ahead and be seated. And you know what they represent to me? They represent the promise that God has given our ministry that our descendants will settle in desolate cities and they will inherit the nations. I'm believing that with all my heart. I refuse to give up on the promise that God has given to our ministry. I don't know if there's anybody else here this morning that says I will stand on the promises of God for my life. Those are collective promises. But God is also given personal promises. Personal promises. The worship team, you guys can come. Personal promises. Personal promises. Personal promises. I don't think that the Lord is done giving out vision just yet. I don't believe that the Lord is done handing out cities and callings and promises. I don't believe he's finished. Maybe you've been called to be a preacher. You say, by the time I preach, all the good messages are going to be preached. <laughs> I remember I used to think like that. <laughs> I look at all them, man. They're good preachers. They don't rule for me up there. <laughs> Besides, it's going to take me four or five years. And by the time I get there, they're four or five years ahead of me. And I should just not even try. All the good messages are going to be preached. All the good stuff is going to be accomplished. There's more movies to be written. There's more movies to be produced. We need more young men that are going to go do drama-ramas in their own city. In their own city. Somebody catch that. In their own city. Somebody catch that. In their own city. We need some of you brothers that you know way down in there. God is saying, I want to use your life. But you're looking ahead and you're looking in the mirror and you just see oceans of impossibility. I want to tell you this morning that God is able to split the Red Sea. We need men that are going to dream again. We're in round two, beloved. We're in round two. There's another wave. There's a get your surfboards. There's another wave. In 1967, a wave started to rise up. It started to rise through the 60s, through the 70s, through the 80s. It started to go from Los Angeles, California to all over the world to begin to spread. And we saw great men with a lot of faith grab their surfboards, man, and start to surf. Great men like Pastor Steve Pinetta. Great men like Pastor Ed Morales. 
great man like Pastor David Martinez, great man like my pastor, Pastor Augie Barajas, and, all, and, and men and women like them all over Victory Outreach that grabbed their boards and just jumped on the wave. But beloved, there's another wave coming. There's another wave coming. And maybe you missed the last one. But God is able to make all things work to the good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Maybe you missed the last one. It's not too late. We're training young men and women in the UTC not to just go home and enhance their church, but that they would be in position to take cities. I told them, build while you're there, but don't get comfortable. Leave as many disciples as you can because you don't know how long you're going to be there. Right? Tear it up humbly. Get to work. There's a wave coming. There's a way some of you are going to line up next to Pastor Stevan and Chella, and you guys are going to start to build, and you're going to be there for a season. And through your commitment, through your 100%, God is going to build, use it to build you and to grow you and to prepare you so that when you go out and you do a work of your own. Is there anybody here that believes that? And sometimes we hear about all these things and we think that, you know, uh, everybody is, uh, if I'm not called to be a pastor or a preacher, then I guess that's not, I'm not just talking to pastors and preachers. Some of you are called to be the priest of your home. That's a calling. That's a responsibility. Because in you being the priest of your home, you're going to affect everybody else in your family. They're going to say, man, man, I thank God for my, my, my Theo, man. Even though he wasn't my dad, he always shined as a bright light for me to look at. You become even an example to the people on the block just by being a good father, just by being a godly man, rising up to that and say, I'm going to be a godly man. And it's going to shine bright for everybody to see. I believe that God has their songs that haven't been sung, their sermons that haven't been preached, their plays that haven't been written, their cities that haven't been taken, there's things that are still yet to be done for the Lord. And as we wrap our arms around those promises and as we start to value what we have in Christ, then our perspective will be right on. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is good. God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just worship the Lord. Amen. Oh, he's good, church. He's good, church. He's a giver of promises. He's a giver of promises. Some of you, some of you need a little glimpse this morning. Some of you are saying, God, I, I need you to show me something, Lord. Give, give me a commercial of my future, Lord. Give me a commercial of my future, oh God. Give me something that could be a visual aid for me, Lord. I want, I want a promise to hold on to. Some of you need to catch your pastor's heart this morning and say, you know what? My promise right now is his promise. Some of you maybe need to open up your heart a little bit more and say, I want his promise to be my promise. Some of you need faith to believe God for the things that he's already showed you. There's some people here today that God already done showed you. God already spoke. God already gave you a glimpse. But you need the faith and the courage to believe it and to receive it.